But I just wasn't happy. I was, uh, you know, in my late 20s and I was running, you know, 40-50% department for a mid-sized company. Was making nice salary, was home at five and I was like totally going through a midlife crisis. You Why? Know? I was bored out of my skull. Flash Munis just wasn't a great employee. Didn't like following directions and had ideas. Lots of ideas. Eventually, something had to give. So the entrepreneurial engineer took a leap, even though family members said he was nuts. So how'd that work out? Well, today, Vlachmunis is the founder and CEO of Ring Central, a Silicon Valley company at the intersection of communication and cloud. The company went public just under five years ago. Today, it's worth more than $5 billion. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and you're listening to the Fort Knox Podcast, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. I do this every week, bringing you the highest achievers. We're going to learn how the very best climb to the top and pull out lessons along the way. If that sounds good to you, make this a habit. Apple's podcast app is the most popular way to tune in, but there are all kinds of ways. Mainly, just go ahead and subscribe, and the internet can do the work for you. If you're a longtime Fort Knox listener, you're going to sense a pattern here with this episode. Vlad is the third CEO I've had who grew up in the former Soviet Union and eventually found his way to the U.S., there was Citrix CEO Kirill Tatarinov, Coupa CEO Rob Bernstein, and now Vlad. Their stories are all pretty different in key details, but similar in some important core ways when it comes to education, values. And please listen for this one in the episode, The Family's Approach to Risk. Now, if you or someone you know is thinking about taking a leap to start your own thing, but you're not quite sure, listen to Vlad's story. Here's Vlad Shmunas. I did come here as a teenager at 14. Mm. And uh, yeah, we came to San Francisco and um, what more or less never left. Uh, 74. 74. So. What was that like for a 14-year-old San Francisco, 74? San Francisco is a different city then. Uh, it is, and it's much different from Odessa, Ukraine, where I'm from as well. <laughs> what was it like? Uh, well, it's great. I was very much wanting to leave. You know, I... Uh, uh, you know, it wasn't, it's a great place to be from, you know? Right. So, uh, yeah. What I do you mean, remember you know, of the Ukraine um, as, a, as an early teenager back during the Cold War? It was Cold War, and this was, uh, you know, a bit before Afghanistan, but, uh, you know, the country was, uh, you know, fairly aggressive, and, uh, you know, to be blunt, my parents didn't want me to go in the army, and uh, God knows what would have happened, plus which I was never a particular fan of the regime, even at an early age, and I probably would have wound up in jail or worse, you know, mm. to be blunt. Uh, but, you know, it didn't happen, fortunately, and we come over here. I was, I was super excited. It was great. Didn't speak any English, you know. <laughs> so what do you remember from, you know, your, your time in the Ukraine growing up? Like, to contrast with San Francisco. Um, or U.S. in general, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, really, really interesting. Look, it's a different uh, third world country, uh, kind of by any by by, by any stretch. Uh, so I'll give you some goods and some some of the bads. Yeah, uh, goods, you know, closely knit families, uh, closely knit social circles, uh, always a support system around you. Um, you know, my mom working across the street. By, by design, you know, so she could like be there for lunch and feed me as a 
you know, as a not toddler, but whatever, as a, as a very young person, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, grandma being there and all of that, and uh, you know, that's a little bit harder here, uh, I think. Okay, uh, on the negative side, um, you know, it's it's a different mindset. So uh, if it's not specifically allowed, then it's probably disallowed. Okay, <laughs> and that's that's. I always struggled with that big time. Okay, right. so very much closed society, very much uh, controlled from the top. Um, in our particular case, so we're Jewish, so there was clearly anti-Semitism, uh, which I was even beginning to feel in those days. Used to get into fights over that, and uh, you know, I, I, I was a big guy, so I was kind of winning more than not. But eventually, it would have caught up, uh, and um, you know, just nothing like. There's no American stories there. Like what I and the whole bunch of other people did here, frankly impossible. The only way to get ahead was join the party, which wasn't going to happen, or you know, steal, which also wasn't very appealing. So, uh, what was your first taste of entrepreneurialism? Um, making something, having an idea, uh, and, and growing it. Yeah, fair. Uh, <laughs> Look at a uh, you know anecdotal level. Uh, I was always somewhat entrepreneurial in nature. Sure, like even as a kid. Uh, uh, even well, even as a kid within the confines of the environment. I remember I was like preteen and you know left at fourteen, right? Just as it turned. Yeah. Um, I you know I had a number of sort of odd summer jobs here and there. I learned some lessons you know from them, believe it or not. Uh, so not to get ahead um, of your own breaches, as they say. So I used to have this fantastic summer job. I thought that was the greatest, right? Because it was a gardening job, right? Mm. And I was like working for myself, which I always liked, and I needed to clear up this garden for this lady, you know, which I did. And like, you know, I was a relatively good guy, so I created this giant mound of like grass, you know, and then great. And now what do I do with it? So how do I actually call it out? Because I didn't have a car, you know? So this kind of gives you those life lessons. Just plan ahead a little bit. <laughs> uh, but look, on a more serious level, so um, I had, so my background is technical. It's computer science, all right? And I uh, actually uh, had an early attempt. Uh, and I got out of school relatively early. I had my master's at uh, 20, basically. Um, not necessarily giving credit to myself for that, just the way that kind of the system worked out. Uh, but um, uh, I, uh, I, I came out uh, actually uh, with a partner uh, with a networking product fairly early on. So we're talking sort of mid eighties, uh, which was pretty revolutionary. It had to do with uh, interfacing of um, what we used to call mid-frame and uh, mainframe computers with a PC. Yes, as PCs were coming out. Actually, it was a good product to this day, I believe. Uh, but, uh, you know, had no business acumen, no, uh, you know, connections, no sense what to do with it. So kind of let that one go. Uh, second attempt was uh, a little bit, um, you know, more successful uh, commercially. So it was a company called Ring Zero Systems, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, we ended up uh, very, very early with what used to be called the multimedia revolution with PCs. So my whole career, I very much gravitated towards personal computing as a personal aspect of it. And um, uh, 
you know, and uh, bells and whistles. So media and video, you know, and voice were always of interest to me. What was your first experience with a PC? Uh, yeah, I got like one of the very first XTs. $5,000, which was a lot more than I owned at the time. <laughs> yeah. But when was that? Uh, man, uh, when they came out, you know, 83, 84, something like that. And again, I, so I always try to do something with them. But multimedia is what really gave us sort of this, uh, this, this really shot on the arm. So the company did fairly well. We ended up having a product which was bundled on a whole lot of PCs. Like we shipped about 20 million units pre-bundled. Uh, so the business model was kind of most successful company at the time was Microsoft. So I wanted mm -hmm. to do what they did, which is get paid by the copy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we kind of got there. Uh, we didn't get paid as much as Microsoft, so you know, right. I needed, <laughs> you know. But I sold this company to Motorola, Motorola and right. uh, you know we did pretty well with it. And uh, you know then came back with the Bring Central idea. So, but before you did the entrepreneurial stuff, you already had a family, right? I got married early, is that yeah. what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of people's risk tolerance gets a lot lower once they got a family to take care of. So how did you maneuver that? What, what, what made you step out on your own even after you had done what a lot of people consider settling down? Yeah. Uh, well, firstly, I'm, I tend to be counter-cyclical, maybe, <laughs> but uh, you know what? I just wasn't happy, and uh, you know, I've uh, I've been married for over 30 years now, and same woman, and uh, you know, she's been supportive. Uh, not that we didn't have conversations, but I just wasn't happy. I was, uh, you know, in my late 20s, and I was running, you know, 40, 50 person department for a mid-sized company, M was making nice salary, was home at five, and I was like totally going through a midlife crisis. Man. Why? Know? I was bored out of my skull, <laughs> and this is what my life is going to be, and I had all of these people working for me who were my dad's age or more, and I was like, I don't want to do that when I'm 40, you know, which mm -hmm. used to seem like a lot in those days. <laughs> <laughs> what did you want to do? I, I more knew what I didn't want to do, okay? I knew that I didn't want to, um, wo I didn't want to do something I didn't believe in. Um, I kind of figured out fairly early that I was a better leader for whatever reasons uh, than a follower. Hmm. Uh, and um, I could always, uh, you know, I always felt uh, self-confident enough to where I could organize a team and lead a team. And if I believed in something, you know, have them follow. I also knew that if I don't believe something, then there is no way that anybody is going to follow anyway. Mm. And I just really was at a point where I was saying to myself and to my wife is, look, like we got one life to live and uh, why why be unhappy? Like lots of people are happy with that. Like lots of people would be delighted to like not have to work very hard, basically. But I, it was never the same with me. And what did she say? You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, she said, you, "Look, you got to do what you got to do. You know, if we're out of money, you know, you go back to your gardening jobs." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but uh, look, obviously, very very fortunate. Right time, right place, right education. This whole, you know, initially PC revolution and then multimedia revolution and then the internet, you know, and then mobility all coming together and just being able to experience this and 
you know, if you will ride that wave and, you know, leverage it, you know, only this time and frankly only in America. I, I take it once you sold Ring Zero, yeah. you were a multimillionaire. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, wild. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, no, it was very, very interesting, you know. Because back then, a few million dollars went a long way in San Francisco. Sure. Not as far, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it still does. Man, it's... It was never just about the money. Money was no. always interesting, but my personal needs, like I'll spend all the money I have, and if I don't have any, I won't spend any. You know, when we came in, we had $400 for the whole family of four. Mm -hmm. So that kind of, we made that last a little bit. Uh, so it wasn't like I'm not that much into toys or whatever. You know, now I'm a little bit more than you know I used to be. But, uh, you know, look, I mean, it, it was nice, like I was, you know, sort of vindica vindicated in a way that, okay, you know, I didn't take the family, you know, down the drain with me. You don't have to garden. Uh, don't have to garden. Except when you want to. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to. No, but uh, look, it felt good and, it, you know, obviously feels good, but it really was always more about, you know, the accomplishment. You, I got probably personally more kicks about making a whole bunch of other people millionaires mm. than, you know, and again, I'm not like holier than thou and I'm not altruistic to a point here, but it's great, you know. And even before that, when we had a company party, so this was back in the sort of early 90s, mm -hmm. and this guy comes in and says, uh, hey, he says, I got good news. You know, he was like full-time employee working for me. I go like, what's the good news? He goes, I bought a house. I go, you are crazy. You're working for this company and you think you can do a house and you think it's going to, you know? <laughs> but he did pretty well, this guy, you know? So, yeah, I mean, so, so that's the thing is, you know, you make customers happy, you make your employees happy, your wife happy, you know? Yeah, that helps. That but helps. one of the things that you can do with money is call more of your own shots without having to ask permission. So after you sold Ring Zero, you got to work again, right? Very so, quickly. what about that aspect of it? Having the capital to move more quickly and to make your ideas into reality, and plus having the track record of being able to say to people who you want to, you know, bring into your project, hey, look what I did before, I'm ready to do it again. You know what, it's kind of interesting. I keep thinking about this. Uh, what it gave me was not some, so much the ability to move quicker, it gave me more staying power because if anything was bring central, it wasn't very very quick at all. You know, uh, we got uh, first institutional funding. Uh, you know, good uh, six years uh, after the company was founded. Hmm. Okay, so uh, it was founded in what 1999. Well, uh, yeah, actually, we incorporated in 99, and uh, yeah, actually, even seven years, and uh, got funded in six. So what my first money gave me the ability to do was to survive, you know, those, you know, six years. Okay, and uh, we, uh, and it's kind of interesting because I didn't have any outside investors in the first company. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wasn't part of the scene. I didn't know people, you know. Uh, I also wasn't too sure that I even want to have outside money in because the first company kind of worked out. Mm -hmm. But what happened was that, um, we, uh, you know, we had the idea and um, 
you know, in spite of our best efforts to the contrary, and they say ours because some of the people followed me from the first company to here, yeah. but in spite of our best efforts, uh, we would get more customers that would leave, you know? And it finally sort of just dawned on me that um, this could be really, really, really big. I always knew it could be a nice company, you know, but I already had a nice company before, you mm -hmm. know? But this could be, you know, multi-hundred of million, you know, we're, we're 500 million now, you know, I had no idea what it meant back then, you know? Yeah. But, uh, you know, we're well on our way to a billion dollars, you know, in a, you know, 50 billion dollar market, call it. So it's a huge opportunity, okay? So I, I wasn't too clear on those numbers, I just knew it could be really, really big, and uh, eventually I knew, you know, I, or I realized we needed to get, you know, outside capital in, we got really good investors, we got Sequoia Capital, we got Kosla Ventures, if you're not Kosla, you know, yeah. long -term, uh -huh. uh, client Perkins uh, partner there. So really, really, really good there. But we had, you know, we had some um, thin years as well. Yeah. So right around the mid 2000s, mid to late 2000s is when Cisco started pushing into unified communications, which is another name for the space that you're in. Microsoft was getting in there. I mean, is that part of the reason why you took investment or did you take investment before that? Because you're getting the big names in tech starting to pay attention to the office phone then. I took investment uh, when I was uh, reasonably sure that I would not lose people money, <laughs> to be blunt. Okay? Mm -hmm. Cisco is interesting because uh, one of their moves in UC was to invest in us. So Cisco actually was an early investor. There were not Series A, there were Series C, that, but that was fairly close to, mm. to Series A. Um, no, I took investment when uh, you know I thought that I needed uh, Money, yes, but more than money, partners. So I, I wanted other people's wisdom, and I wanted you know few select people to be clear, okay, mm -hmm. very specific. But you know, I did start out with two self-made billionaires uh, supporting the company, and that helped. Mm -hmm. Okay, between Doug Leonio, Sequoia, and, you know, Vinod, and uh, that just tons of wisdom and knowledge that uh, you know really, really, really helped out. And you took the company public uh, four years ago. What made you do that? You know? Uh, it's like it's 13 like, years old at that point. Yeah, but 13 years old, but honestly more like five since institutional funding. We were a $5 million company. Mm -hmm. uh, when they invested, we were, call it 100 and some 20 million-ish, you know, in that, you know, and we've better than quadrupled even since. Uh, it felt like it was ready, you know, the company was there, of, of size, of scale. Um, we were getting the recognition and look, I mean, being public, it's a huge branding event, you know. And I know we're here in Nasdaq building, but we went out <laughs> on <the> NYSE, so, <laughs> so okay, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's similar, you know, it's similar. Uh, it uh, just gives you the credibility. And the thing is, uh, like, with being public, um, I actually, uh, you know, like people are concerned with disclosures and all of that. I always was more than open to that. I always felt that, look, it's a nice business. Why not tell people what we have? Why not give the customers this extra degree of, you know, comfort factor that, hey, these people are for real. Here are the numbers. You know, it's all public. You know, this is what they spend. This is what they make. This is how the money is going. 
And to this day, I'm here at an investor conference. That's our pitch. People always ask, like, what's the secret sauces? I, I go, like, here's this, here's the slide deck. That's the secret sauce. This is our product. <laughs> how much we invest. This is where we invest. This is how much we spend. This is where we spend. People like that. Why didn't you sell it? I mean, it's too early. It's too early, you know. Like I say, you know, we 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 are well on we're on record saying that we are at a billion dollars in revenue in uh, 2020. That's just three years away. Uh, there are really a small handful, like on one hand, number of software companies in SaaS software as a service companies that even uh, cross over the billion dollar threshold. Uh, uh, mark yeah. threshold, yeah. And uh, so we are kind of on our way of joining that club. We're growing in the 30s, so that's a yes, smaller club, you know. Uh, we have not, uh, I need to say it carefully because of Bragg FD reasons, <laughs> but we have not decelerated even as we are building a larger business and, you know, over half a billion now in recurrent revenues. Um, so we think that this could be like really, really huge. It could be a giant, giant opportunity and, uh, you know, kind of want to see it through. Hmm. What has changed in the way you lead the company since you first figure out you're a better leader than a follower? Um, yeah, what has changed? Well, many things have changed. I like to think that the core remains the same. So let's start with what hasn't changed. Entrepreneurial culture, I mean, that's... What about you? Me personally. What's changed about you? Well, I got way younger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, you know what? I honestly don't know that that much has changed. Look, I'm a much more experienced, seasoned executive, obviously, than I was, you know, 15 years ago or, or 20 or 30 years ago, right? Sure. I obviously know a lot more. I know more people. I've been in situations, you know, just things you gain with experience, you know? Uh, I think, and just nature of the beast is, uh, you know, as a, uh, what do they call it, serial entrepreneur. So I started out three companies from scratch, literally from scratch, okay, three times over. Yeah. And what you need to do in those cases is from scratch means that you're there shoveling dirt yourself a lot, you know. And okay, yes, granted, second, third time around, I had a small team around me, but again, we're talking single digits here. So you get to do a lot yourself. Uh, you don't have an opportunity to delegate, and there is no one to delegate to anyway, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's changed. So I delegate a lot, all right? And um, if initially I used to do things, and then you, I would delegate to people to do things, and now delegate to people to hire people to delegate and so forth. So it builds, you know, it builds the structures. But uh, what hasn't changed is, look, I still think it's, uh, you still need to have a vision, you know? You need to be, um, you know, stay human to the extent possible, yeah? So people need to want to follow you, like you said San Francisco a few times. And there is this thing about San Francisco, you know, that people have options, they have choices. And we got our friends from, you know, Facebook and Google and, <laughs> you know, pretty much every other tech company there in the Valley competing for talent. So how do you compete? How do you survive? So you know what? You make it nice for people. So how do you do that? Well, I got some kind of old world tricks up my sleeve. So my first well, ring zero. Uh, so one of the early employees uh, was my mom, 
you know, who, who passed since. Uh, I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, but uh, she was a big part of it. And uh, we, one of her contributions was she used to cook lunches for people, you know. <laughs> so that was the thing. But we were a small company. So, again, sounds a little corny, but you know what? One of the first things we did when we could afford is we have a nice gourmet kitchen now. And, uh, you know, we make sure that people are comfortable at work. Uh, probably for companies of our size, it's... it's, it's Relatively, relatively rare, even even still. But those are kind of things money can buy. Is you know work work environment, you know food, uh, parking, valet, all of those things. You know, uh, things money can buy. This maybe where I come in and where I try to get my team to align is uh, the passion. You know, the vision of it. Uh, hey, we're here not to just make the paycheck because you know what? There are many other people that will pay you more money. Okay, uh, because they have more money, frankly, you know. Mm. Uh, but we are here to change the world for the better. We're here to maybe enable a uh, doctor, you know, get that phone call when that doctor is not at his office or her office, you know. But you know, if a patient needs to get through to a doctor, you know, Ring Central can do that without doctor having to publish, you know, their personal phone number, which most of them do not want to do. This is just one example. Or when they have uh, this live, live example, real case, we have a customer, which is a financial institution, okay? And uh, this one guy says, you know what? Like, we were having a meeting like this. Uh, and he was saying, you know what? My wife loves you, you know? And they go, really? Like, what's, <laughs> <laughs> what's she saying? She goes, no, he goes, no, 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 no. Why he lo uh, she loves you, he says, is, we can now go to a restaurant together because he says, I used to not be able to leave my office because people were, you know, just onboarding and managing all of these employees and like always needed to run back to the office to like type stuff up or at least have my laptop around. Now I can be at a nice restaurant and I can administer whatever, they have a few hundred people, everything from my mobile device. Thank you, Ring Central, for that. Mm. And that goes, that's really cool. So you know what I do? I tell the story, true story. I tell the story, you know, to you know, they're all hands, and uh, hopefully people listen and get a little bit more passionate as well. You say your mom was a part of the company when? As was my wife. As was your wife? Yes, that was a feat, basically. Huh? That was a feat. <laughs> I can imagine. Especially <laughs> yeah. both at the same time. Exactly. What did you see, I mean, your mom lived uh, in Ukraine longer than you did under the regime, mm -hmm. so I imagine it was a big change for her coming to the U.S. in San Francisco how did you see her reacting to you know, her son getting involved in technology, starting to build things and companies? Sure. Getting involved in technology, uh, that was a given. So she was an engineer, my dad was an engineer. Uh, for as long as we remember, people had a technical sort of bent to them, okay? So that wasn't an issue. Uh, me veering off the beaten path uh, was an issue. Uh, at, at least initially, mm -hmm. and uh, in San Francisco, sort of the not so nice part of the town is, you know, we call it Market Street, and right. she used to always go, you're going to end up on Market, you know? Tenderloin? Um, well, she said Market. <laughs> she said Market, <laughs> right, right, you right. know? Um, so eventually we hosted a user conference there. <laughs> said, oh, Mom, you know? <laughs> you, you were right you're after right. all. <laughs> Uh, look, there were absolute trepidations. It's not uh, so coming from that side of the world, and both my parents were 
not entrepreneurial at all. So I don't know where I kept this, you know, but they still look like them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, jeans are funny. Um, uh, that was a little bit of a culture shock for them that I would go and do something on my own like that. But uh, you know what? They loved me, and my mother in particular. Uh, you know, she did. She was doing okay here. You know, and she was married. You know, whatever. You know, but uh, you know, the minute I could afford her, she went to work for me. You know, <laughs> so so she was extremely supportive in every way, and uh, that that meant a lot. So I guess her outlook on on business and what it could do on starting things changed. When she saw you do it, and not end up on Market Street, except in, with a in, in that particular way, I'm sure. I'm sure it did. And look, my my outlook changed too. You know, who knew? Like we just come from this background to where nobody made money. Uh, you know, like I say, without kind of either leeching onto the system or or stealing. Back then, I'm not saying it's, it's the way they are now. I have I've been out for a long time, but back then, right. So back for then. them to see what's sort of this American success story, you know, American dream, really happen right in front of their eyes was probably interesting. So what do you tell kids now, young people who, you know, maybe have talent, aren't sure how to develop it, or or maybe develop the skills to be an entrepreneur if they want to? What do you tell them? Yeah, this comes up all the time. You know, I just go like, follow your heart. You know, you you know, if don't do it because other people say, well, you got to do it. Everybody's running a company. You got to start a company. Go do it. That's like the worst reason ever. Mm. You know, you only start companies if that's your only choice. Like, I could not not start a company. You know. Right. I had to, I was not a good particular, I was not a great employee, I already told you that, <laughs> you know, uh, but sort of an okay manager, entrepreneur. Many other people are the other way, and we need both kinds, you know. Uh, or nobody would work for you. Or nobody would work for you. <laughs> well, that's just it, you know. It, it's, it's kind of funny, I hear like, I, sorry, a little bit of a tangent, and I'll leave names out, but uh, I, uh, you know, hear uh, one of the, uh, major sports uh, franchise owners, uh, you know, this was fairly recent, and there were some trepidation, I forget what exactly it was, uh, about firing players or whatever, and he made this comment saying, well, you know, no, because the team wasn't doing too well, right? Mm. And the like, question was, well, you're like doing these players, well, what about yourself as an owner? And he says, well, nobody fires an owner, you know? And that's not right. You do fire an owner, and how you do you fire an owner? You leave. Mm. You know, it's called called a free country. You know, right? Okay, the labor pool is not captive. So uh, yeah, so you have to have that belief that people will follow you, and you know what? Better have your ear to the ground too. So like for example, uh, everybody is m uh, measuring you know CSAT customer satisf uh, customer satisfaction, right? We measure, and we're not unique, but uh, we measure ESAT employee satisfaction, mm. and you know what? It's not always great. And when it's not great, okay, let's understand what bothers them, you know? Sometimes it's, you know, it's endearingly trivial, like they're complaining of flavors of yogurt that we're <laughs> serving. That, so that's, that's an easy one they can do. Sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's about, hey, uh, you know, we need a childcare room. And you know what? I'm out of space in my office building. 
I, I, I physically can't. So what do I do, you know? So now I'm like stretching my head, okay, you know, I need to do an office building like that, yeah? So, uh, I mean, is that a current problem or is that a problem you solved? literally a problem. No, that is a current problem yeah. because, yeah, it's a growing company. We've got, you know, a few thousand people now and, uh, you know, they have families and, you know, uh, they want to, you know, live their lives and we want them to be happy, but yet we also want them to be at work, you know. <laughs> so, 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 so how do we solve that? So, so anyway, so it's... Uh, so it's those kinds of issues. So anyway, but you, to, to your question on, 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 on young people, I think you know, if you have it, you know it, and if you don't have it, you probably also know it. But if you do have it, uh, just go for it. Just go for it, don't think, don't look over your shoulder. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, was very lucky and fortunate, and this is a good position to be in, but I'm not unique. There are other people who have done this, and uh, by the way, not just in tech. And uh, you know, again, I, I'll go back to one life to live. I mean, what do you want to do when you are, you know, I, I had both of my parents, you know, pass in the last three years, so it's a little bit fresh in my mind. Mm. In my mind, and um, you know, eventually it happens, and what do you want to look back at? Do you want to go, hey, I've followed my heart, or do you want to go, I've followed what this you know, society told me to do. Be, be your own person. Ring Central stock price has more than doubled in the past year as the S&P 500 index has risen 12%. Not bad, Vlad. And thanks for joining me. I'm John Fort from CNBC. This has been Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes. Maybe leave me one of your own. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube. It's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X dot com slash YouTube. Follow me, John Fort, on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. You'll see a video from some of these interviews. You can say hi to me live, usually Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. There I tackle some of the most interesting business and economic issues with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. Just go to YouTube and search for Fort Knox. Go to Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn and search for John Fort and follow me. Meanwhile, share this, tell a friend, drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, FortKnox.com, LinkedIn, and as always, thank you for lending an ear.